You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in January, we talked about protests in Sudan. Now, half a year later, those protests continue. And while demonstrators have seen some success, events recently took a very dark turn. This is Worley, a part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Alex Ward, hosting the show for the first time, along with my co-host, friend, who you just heard woo, Jen Williams. That's me. Woo. Zach is on his honeymoon, which, yay! Um, And he's somewhere on Earth, but someday he'll come back to us, and that's hopefully next week. In the meantime, Jen and I are going to do our best to get you up to speed on the roughly seven months of Sudan protests that have taken such a deadly turn recently. So before we get there, Jen... Do you mind giving us just a little bit of a backstory? Yeah. So for those of you who didn't listen to our last episode on Sudan, we forgive you. Uh, for those of you who didn't have just forgotten, we also forgive you. So basically, in December 2018, protests erupted in Sudan. Originally, they were over the price of food, but they pretty quickly turned into a protest about the country's really bad economy. And then they kind of spiraled into this protest about the leadership. So about that leader, that guy's name is Omar al-Bashir. He was in charge of Sudan from like 1989. Uh, and uh, spoiler alert, he was not good. Uh, basically ran the country into the ground after he took it over in a military coup. Um, you may remember the genocide of Darfur in the western part of the country. That was his brainchild, right? So there was an uprising in the western part of the country. He used a very brutal militia to quell that uprising. And basically it's led to him being known as one of the world's most brutal leaders and even being referred to the International Criminal Court. So not the best guy. Right, yeah. So he literally, in the process of putting down that rebellion, committed, or at least is accused pretty credibly of having committed multiple counts of genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity. So brutal guy, brutal dictator. Now, these protests, back when we covered it in January, were new. And it seemed like a really big kind of new thing that was happening. We didn't know really where they were going to go, whether they were going to be successful. And they were really inspiring. So there's a a great piece on Vox.com about how there was a big contingent of women in the country who were leading the protest movement. There were all these, like, amazing, inspiring scenes of, like, women and children and just all sorts of people in Sudan from all walks of life coming out into the street, like, dancing and singing. And it was a very, like, positive movement. 
Yeah, and and Jen, I remember us talking about that in the newsroom and just thinking like this is such a different sort of view we have of these kinds of uh, of protests. These protests have been going on since December and they've been holding on to the pressure and continuing the pressure on Bashir and the regime for for quite some time. And to the point that even like military members effectively told him to step down last April. So that's a coup, right? I mean, uh, no no if ands or buts about it. It was a coup even though he said he was never going to go. He's gone. And so, yay, victory, Jen? Yeah, like, at the time, it was like, holy shit, this is really amazing. They basically just got Bashir out of power. And that lasted for about two seconds. Uh, Literally, protesters were like, cool, but you military people who just took over and did a coup, that's not what we want either. So this military coup happens They basically say, look, we're going to set up this kind of military transition council. We're going to oversee the process of moving towards democratic elections. We'll hold these elections sometime in the future, maybe a couple years from now. But we're just going to run the country for now. And all the protesters were like, yeah, no, mm -mm, that's not what we said we wanted. You can't do that. And so they stayed in the streets and proceeded to continue to demonstrate and demand things like, you know, a civilian council to oversee this. Um, They just basically did not want this military structure running the country. And that really brings us to the last few weeks, Jen, right? Because what we're seeing now is that there were some negotiations between the protesters and this transitional uh, government, if you want to call it that. But it's taken, as we said at the top, I mean, a really dark turn, right? So this week, a Bashar-linked paramilitary group decided to launch a full-scale attack on the protesters, basically saying that it was a national emergency and they needed to do this. And they fired on peaceful demonstrators that had been there for months. That's just a horrible, just incredibly despicable thing. And we don't really know how many people have died yet. There are credible reports of around even 100 or so being the death total. Um, And some people in the opposition are saying that, you know, they found as many as 40 bodies in the Nile River, which runs through the capital city of Sudan. So, This is a pretty just awful situation. Communications have basically been shut down as much as the government can. So it's really hard to get reports out of Sudan to be able to, like, verify what's actually going on. But medical workers, volunteers, medical staff at clinics have been reporting things like sexual assault and, like, very gruesome attacks. So what we know for sure is that the military decided— We're done talking to you people. We want you to clear out. And they proceeded to launch a full-scale crackdown and are beating up and shooting and potentially doing other really horrible things to peaceful protesters who are holding a sit-in in the center of the Capitol. So now they're saying that they're going to hold new elections in nine months. But based on everything that's happened so far, especially this new violent outburst, it's hard to trust them. And so now you're hearing people compare the situation to the Arab Spring. And there once was a time where that sounded really promising. But actually, it's not sounding so promising anymore. So after the break, we're going to talk about why that is. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place. 
to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. So... This Sudan situation that we described at the top of the show, it's emblematic of a proliferation of protests we're seeing around the world, right? We've talked about Venezuela. We've talked about Algeria. And there's a commonality here. We're seeing regimes get more repressive, and we're seeing people really push back. And, of course, there's a reason for that. We've got social media, uh, you know, letting people connect and organize. We're seeing, you know, people also realize, like, hey, these guys are making moves over here, so why don't we do the same? So Sudan is no different. We've seen people use social media in Sudan to really get their message out. And this is one of the reasons, again, why people are comparing what's happening in that country to the Arab Spring. And in fact, towards the beginning of the protest, people were basically saying, hey, this may be a whole new era of that Arab Spring thing, and it may go well. But Jen, you and I have been talking about this for a while, and this actually may be somewhat of a death knell for what's going on in Sudan. Right. So just to remind people what the Arab Spring was, so... Back in 2010 and 2011, there were a series of uprisings across the Middle East, and in particular in North Africa, um, kicked off in Tunisia and then spread to other countries, most kind of notably in Egypt, where people rose up and overthrew these longtime dictators. And it was this kind of thing that, that Alex, you were just describing, right, where it was this kind of feed-on effect where people saw their neighbors being really successful at this, this revolution, and they were like, well, if they can do it, we can do it, so let's do it. And so there was this, like, a feeling that change was really possible for, like, the first time. And at the time, a lot of people talked about how interesting and how weird it was that Sudan had kind of escaped this, that, that Bashir in particular, one of the most repressive dictators in the region, had escaped this uprising. And so, you know, when this happened in December in Sudan, a lot of people were like, oh, finally, the Arab Spring has now come for Bashir. But the thing that we're noticing now is that I think that label may actually be more accurate than we realized. So you have to remember that, you know, these revolutions that happened, in particular in Egypt, I think that's the most notable example here to compare this to. You had this really powerful revolution that toppled Hosni Mubarak, who had been in power for decades. But after he was toppled— the military came in and staged a coup, toppled the guy who had been elected after him, and has been running the country ever since with an iron fist, completely cracking down on protesters. And I think, you know, it's very similar to what we've seen now. 
in Sudan. So Jen, everything you've said so far about Egypt is, I mean, eerily reminiscent of what we're seeing in Sudan, right? Which is is why you're bringing it up. I mean, you've seen, you're seeing people take to uh, main squares. You're seeing them organize on social media. You're seeing them go after a long-term dictator. You're seeing them uh, seemingly find some success for a little bit. And then it really all comes crashing down because of a military dictatorship. And I mean, hopefully the similarities don't end there, but uh, it seems like there might be more horrifying similarities. Right. So I think this past week and this massacre really crystallized this for me. So there was a huge massacre that occurred in Egypt in the years kind of following the revolution in a place called Rabah. And there were a bunch of protesters who were set up in a couple of camps in Cairo. One is in this square called Nahda, and another was in the, the Rabah Square, basically. So you had these people camped out. These were, you know, largely peaceful demonstrators, but there were hundreds of people there. And the government decided, we're tired of these people. And so this military government came in, and they literally fired on peaceful protesters and killed hundreds, if not even as many as a thousand people in like a single day in just a matter of a few hours. So I think this comparison for me and what we just saw happen in Sudan, I think just really goes to show you when you have these revolutions, there's this kind of period of of like happiness and elation. And then you have to realize that you have to now deal with what you're left with. And I think what we saw in Sudan in particular is that you know, this did happen after the Arab Spring, right? So we we have all these people watch that happen. So they're not fools anymore, right? They, they know this shit. And so that's why when the military was like, cool, we're going to just handle things, they were like, nah, we've seen that before. We saw your shit in Egypt. We saw the shit elsewhere. We're not putting up with this. We know how that goes. We're staying here until, you know, you transition to real democracy into real civilian control and then they proceeded to do exactly what people feared and crack down. So there seem to be sort of two lessons, I think, from, from the Egypt and the Sudan example, right, that I'm getting from, from what you're saying. The first is that, like, if a regime is entrenched, it's there basically to stay. It's going to be extremely, extremely hard to get rid of it. Um, we saw that throughout the Arab Spring, and we're seeing that now. And in fact, this is why you'll hear so many people when, you know, even American administrations say like, oh, we're looking for regime change elsewhere, why they get so worried, because that is such an incredibly hard, messy thing to do. But maybe if there's like a bright side to this, and I hesitate to even use that, is it would almost seem to be like, you know, people are learning their lessons here. I mean, in Sudan, you're, you're, the fact that the military was like, no, guys, we got this, the fact that immediately the, the, the people in the street were like, no, you don't. We've seen what you do. We know we're expecting you to come at us eventually, right? But you're trained killers. You were involved in war crimes, basically. You know, so, like, we don't expect you to, to represent us. If there's a bit of a second wave here, it almost seems like there's a bit of a learning curve. You know, I think by the same token, the regimes have also learned that turns out Crackdowns fucking work, and it's hard to continue to protest and come out in the streets when they're literally gunning you down. It's effective to crack down brutally. I think Tiananmen Square, which is the 30th anniversary of that you know massacre happening in China, I think that's another piece of this, that 
while protesters are learning their lessons, so are the regimes. And so we're still seeing this kind of horrific cycle. Sadly, I agree with, with all of that, Jen. But what I, I guess I am hopeful for after this is that no matter how hard the circumstances are, you're seeing people fight for their rights continuously and kind of stand up for what they believe in and do what they feel is right. Right, like knowing the risks, they're still doing it. They're still coming out there and risking that. You're absolutely right. And at risk of angering you, I'm going to do what I think is right, and I'm going to end the show here. So uh, thank you, Jen, for bearing with me through my first hosting job. Zach, we hope to see you uh, soon. I want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, everyone at Vox that supports us at the Vox Media Podcast Network. And as a gift to you guys for sticking with us, we're actually going to do a live show on June 24th in Washington, D.C. In the show notes, we'll leave a link so you can come watch us. But tickets are available. They're free. uh, And you can come watch us do our thing. So rate, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.